Welcome to Uncontained, episode 116. I'm your host, Aaron Static Render. On the show today, I speak with stand-up comedian and the host of the podcast that's perfect for Miami Dolphins fans, especially the ones that don't live in Miami and find the coverage of the Dolphins a little bit weak. He co-hosts the show Perfectville. Also, you'll find out how he earned the nickname the Enforcer on stage doing stand-up comedy. We also get to talking about some exciting things that he has coming up, including a TV series, Think Dirty Jobs Meets Stand-Up Comedy with stand-up comedian Kabir Singh. That's all coming up, and uh, I won't keep you waiting too much longer. We'll jump right into the show. If you want to find out ways to support Uncontained, you can check out uncontainedpod.com. There's Patreon, Public, and all that good stuff there for you. So please, if you feel, feel like supporting Uncontained, that's the spot to do it. And before we jump into the interview, here is a brief clip of Sam's comedy from one of his stage sets, and then then stick around for the interview with the enforcer, Sam Marcoux. The worst part about being a parent, though, are the other parents, though, right? Like, all of you, you're the worst problem right there, because you guys compare your kid like they're great. Your kids suck, just like my kids suck. There's no difference. But you guys pretend like your kid's great. I go to daycare the other day and run into Billy's mom. Billy's mom goes, do you know what Billy did today? I'm like, I'm sure you're going to tell me. Because Billy completed all of his math homework. I think he's going to be a scientist one day. I'm like, well, you know the email that went out to all the parents last week about the one kid grabbing all the other kids by the crotch? That was mine. So I guess she's going to be president someday. How are you doing today, Sam? I am doing pretty okay, considering that it is the AM and I am up. Uh, that means I have uh, got a head start on the day, sir. All right. Yes. And uh, thank you for agreeing to join me, actually, kind of early in the morning, uh, especially since you had two shows last night. I understand that can be kind of tough. And you were actually willing to do this earlier in the day, too. But and I was like... I don't want to push you. I don't want to push you. I want to make sure that, you know, you get a little bit of rest anyway. So thank you. Oh, no, thank you. And you know what? I might need to hire you as my uh, my manager because you're right. I did say, oh, you know, I could do this a little bit earlier. And then this morning the alarm went off and I'm like, oh, my God, I can't imagine if I was already up and talking <laughs> right now. So good looking out on your end. Yeah, I didn't want you on the on the mics. I don't know. I just had a show last night. And... Yeah, yeah, a little... Uh, uh, little haggard from being out till about one thirty in the morning, but hopefully I'm sounding okay for the uh, listening audience. I uh, I sucked down some coffee and uh, as about as awake as I can be. And by the way, it's I should point out it's really not that early. I mean, I'm complaining about a nine o'clock in the morning start, so I, I really should shut up. And you know, well, when you're out at a club doing a show till like one two in the morning, you know it it gets time gets shifted around a little bit there's comic time and then there's regular people time uh, amen to that that is absolutely true <laughs> all right so how did the show go last night uh <laughs> well uh loaded question because you already know but uh the the early show actually was fantastic you know there's something about friday night crowds that it, it, it's really two separate um it really is two separate shows. Like I, know, I mean, I know literally it's two separate shows. But the early show for a Friday night crowd is really the show that you want. That's the kind of the money show because people got off work, they're blowing off steam. It's the weekend. They're having dinner while at the show. They're just there to be entertained. They've had a long week of working, and they just want to let go for a couple of hours. So they're willing to embrace you for who you are, what you do, and then you get the late show crowd. And I think everyone thinks on paper that the late show crowd, oh, that's the cool crowd because they show up. It's a 1030 start. Everything can hang out. There's really no rules because it is the late show. It's beyond prime time, whatever you want to call it. But on a Friday night, the late show is just a disaster. It, it doesn't matter what club, what part of the country. The late show on a Friday is a bunch of tired motherfuckers who uh, already ate somewhere else. They've already come off that same long work week. They're tired. They think it's a good idea to go to a late show, so they get tickets to this late show. And then they show up, and they're either too drunk or too tired to even pay attention. And then uh, you also get the, the added bonus of getting very, very young patrons. Like last night, there was a 22-year-old girl sitting in the front row who decided that she 
uh, would like to audition to be a comic as well. <laughs> and she just interrupted and disrupted every single comic that came up there. And every comic that came back uh, afterwards was complaining about her. So I felt it was my duty at the end of the show to get up there and set her straight and just let her know that, look, this will not happen again. This will not happen during my show. This will not happen at all for the rest of your entire life. When you go to a comedy club, you're going to remember this moment. And uh, I released what uh, I call shock and awe on her for about 10 minutes straight of just eviscerating her entire person to the point where she finally broke. She finally stopped barking back and she looked at me and said, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. And she got up and left. So it was a victory for comics everywhere. So if any comics or aspiring comics are listening to this, um, I don't often advocate attacking 22 year old girls, but from a stage with a microphone when they won't shut up, uh, figure out a way to shut them the fuck up. As long as you don't actually physically choke them with the cord, I guess, you know, but I think all comics everywhere should uh, should give you a thank you for that uh, service that you just did. Oh, they did. And in fact, the audience was with me as well. I mean, I, they were clapping and hooting and hollering because they were sick of her shit, too. I mean, she was disrupting the show. I mean, the other people there, as tired and drunk and whatever as they were, were still there with good intentions. She was not. And I don't blame her as a bad person. I blame her as being a 22-year-old person, which is to say that you're not really a person at 22. You don't <laughs> know the rules of anything uh, as much as you think you do. And uh, she, it was probably her first time at a comedy club. And hopefully it's not her last time at a comedy club, but hopefully it's the last time that she acts like that. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So how like what kind of heckler was she? There's different kinds of hecklers, like right. the ones that just yell like, oh, you suck. Uh, and then ones that want to be part of the show that try to like chime in their little jokes. And then just the ones that are just talking off separately, which isn't necessarily heckling you, but it's disrupting the show. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, there are different types of hecklers. It's almost a good blog post to do. But she was she was kind of she was basically the podcast heckler. I mean, she was having a conversation with me while I was on stage. It was almost like I'm talking to you right now. So people are trying to set up their jokes. They're trying to hit their punchlines. And she was just talking and walking right through them. I mean, people would set up whatever their setup was and she would ask a question about that setup or, uh, you know, somebody would say something. about So I have a kid and she'd be like, I bet you it's really ugly. And, you know, shit like that where you're just kind of like, you know, it's really not your place to uh, to be a part of the show right here. People didn't pay their money to see you perform. Uh, you paid money to see us perform. And uh, the other comics were much more patient than I was. And like I said, she just wouldn't stop. And I gave her an opportunity to stop. She wouldn't stop. So I, uh, I took care of it after that. So she wasn't one of those hecklers that was like, you suck or anything like that. Um, she was very much in the tr tradition of just talking too much. And when somebody tells you to stop talking, or as I put it, shut the fuck up and you don't do it. Um, last night is what happens. Yes. And so I saw on your website that you uh, have a nickname as well on stage as uh, the enforcer. Yes. Would this be kind of how you got that nickname? This is exactly how I got the nickname. There's a uh, Bay Area uh, comedian, kind of a local legend named Bobo Phillips, and he's open for, I mean, throw a rock and hit a headlining comedian that you've ever heard of. This guy's open for him when they come through town. In fact, most of the national headliners ask for this guy to open for them. So uh, he's based out of the Bay Area, and he started booking me on his shows that he produces. And kind of a similar situation is that there was just a show one night where the first two comics went up, and they just could not uh, get. A, a laugh out of the audience they were struggling really hard so i went up there and i just basically told them from the stage you will laugh that this is a comedy show i'm putting you all on notice right now that this is not going to continue and we had a good show the rest of the night and he turned to me afterwards he's like my god dude you, you're just the enforcer because <laughs> um there was another time where a good friend of mine kabir singh was on stage and uh, a fan actually rushed the stage and security at this particular location didn't do anything about it so as a friend and a fellow comic, I went on stage and grabbed the guy off stage and, and took care of the whole thing. So I kind of got this reputation of not being able to really handle or put up with people's bullshit uh, from the audience. So I got uh, I got dubbed the enforcer of comedy here in the Bay Area. There are definitely worse nicknames to have than the enforcer. That's actually oh, a pretty badass it. one. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I was like, you know what? I, I can rock with that. I could be the enforcer. Sure. Why not? 
Sam the Enforcer Marku. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of like it as the Enforcer Sam Marku. I don't like putting it in the middle. I, I think it sounds better. I don't know. What do you think? Is it whatever you say, Enforcer. Whatever you say, <laughs> have it your way. You know, I'm not. I'm not here to argue. I'm here to cooperate. The, the reputation proceeds. <laughs> Even into the podcast world. So uh, you mentioned uh, Kabir Singh, all right? Mm-hmm. And he's he's big in the Bay Area, touring nationally, correct? He's been on television. Yep. And you have a project that you're working on with him, correct? Yeah. So the thing about Kabir Singh is, well, let me back up. Most comedians that you've ever heard of or seen, whether they're local, national, international, have had some sort of what I would call day job. Um, you know, meaning they worked somewhere, right? A nine to five yes. doesn't matter. Even as an Uber driver in today's society, they've had some sort of responsibility where they were paid money for services. Uh, Kabir Singh has not. He's never had a day job. He's only ever been a stand up comedian. So he has no idea what it's like for the rest of us to have to get up in the morning, go work. Uh, balance of family life, everything that goes into being a regular human being. He doesn't understand it. So like on a random Wednesday, he wants to be out drinking and partying until two or three in the morning, which is fine for him and his lifestyle. But for the rest of us, we can't do that. And uh, we've been kind of joking for a while. Myself, Abel Hadamio, another comedian, and uh, Kabir, we were joking one time while we were on the road that one day we're going to make him go to work. We're going to take him to work. We're going to make him earn an honest day um, living and then go on stage and see how he reacts. And basically it kind of morphed into this project called side hustle, uh, where we take Kabir to, uh, comedians day jobs and he works their day job. And then we put that comedian on stage as a headliner and, uh, it picked up some steam and we got a, uh, a, a, a a company down in Los Angeles who heard about it and paid us a ton of money to shoot the pilot. And uh, the pilot turned out great. And now it is currently uh, in negotiations to be on Netflix, Hulu, Viceland, True TV, I think are the four that are the finalists. So a little bit of buzz around it. It's exciting for us, obviously. And uh, it's kind of a great way to get Kabir to be a little more humble because in the pilot episode, he actually goes to a barbershop and cuts people's hair, actual people's hair. Um, <laughs> and as you can imagine, for a guy who has never had any experience doing anything uh, with his hands other than holding a microphone, it, it ends up about as uh, badly as you think it would. Yeah, hopefully they were all buzz cuts. Uh, that uh, maybe you had a chance, but <laughs> there's a there's a lot of uh, fades set to zero at the end of it. I mean, a lot of free haircuts that uh, we had to give them afterwards for for being good sports and getting their hair just butchered by this maniac with a microphone. <laughs> you know, in a way, it sounds kind of like a comic version of Dirty Jobs, and that's uh, like, that's yep. That sorry to cut you off, but that's exactly how we pitched it. That was our elevator pitch. Is it's basically Dirty Jobs meets stand up comedy, and when you say that, people go. Oh, we get it. We understand what's going on here. And what's cool about it is that there's a lot of funny people that have really interesting and like relatable day jobs. I mean, we've got a friend, Mario Montez, who's a butcher, like a bona fide butcher. And I would love to see Kabir Singh go to the butcher shop, have to cut meat, have to do all the things that a butcher does. I don't even know what a butcher does other than stand there and have a bloody smock on, but I'm sure they do (laughs) something. And that's kind of the point of it is we get to explore what these guys do day in and day out, how hard they work, and then expose them for being as funny as they are on stage afterwards. And it gives Kabir a newfound respect for all of his uh, peers and colleagues. Yeah, definitely. That's uh, I'm definitely looking forward to actually seeing that when that comes out. Is there a projected time frame to when this could happen or is it still like just all up in the air right now as far? You got your pilot shot, I know, but. Yeah, the pilot was shot uh, late last year. It got edited down. Uh, we, there was a, like a, a rough cut of 30 minutes, about a 30-minute show. Uh, at least that's what we're proposing. And then it's making its way through uh, the Gersh Agency, actually, which is a huge talent and uh, acquisition company down in uh, Hollywood or Beverly Hills, wherever it is they, they're set up. Um, they're the ones that are actually going to be representing this to all the networks since they have all the connections there. So it's it's kind of a fun um, fun process, nothing that I've really been through before as a comedian or entertainer. Um, so right now it's projected for sometime in the fall, maybe in the winter, not exactly sure. The problem we have right now is uh, there's a show uh, that Jay-Z, the rapper, came out with where he follows – famous rap or famous rappers and musicians and 
shows what they do for kind of side business, a.k.a. a side hustle. Oh, man. And uh, wouldn't you know it if the show isn't called Side Hustle verbatim. So uh, we are in the middle of having to probably rebrand this thing because, look, as, as good as our show is, I'm not Jay-Z. And uh, Jay-Z is going to win that battle. You know, I will be the 22-year-old girl in the audience when it comes up uh, between me and Jay-Z. <laughs> like, it's not a fair fight. So we're going to have to no. change the name of it at some point. But right now, we're still going with Side Hustle until uh, – uh, as the project name until we can figure it out. Yeah, like I, I here's a couple names I just uh, have off the top of my head. Like, don't quit your day job. Yeah. Um, like nine to five, you know the, that type of thing. But um, you can take them if you want. Uh, if not, I won't cry. Uh, <laughs> I kind of liked. I kind of like since Kabir Singh is the star of the show. I kind of like Kabir opportunities, like career opportunities. Oh but- yeah, that's. It might be a little bit too vague. I'm not sure. So we'll, we'll see. You know what? To be honest with you, we're whores for money. So whoever buys it and says we want to change it to this name, we're like, go for it. You paid us. Go ahead and change the name to whatever it is you want. You know what? That's okay. Honesty honesty is a big thing right there, and I appreciate your honesty. Look, I have plenty of avenues to have my creative outlet filled, okay? I don't need to necessarily uh, stake my uh, claim for the name of a show if they're going to pay me money. Quite literally, if they're paying you money for something so that they can own it, they can do whatever they want. I mean, it's like selling a car and then changing the interior. You don't get to tell the new owner what to do with that car. So uh, if they want to call it whatever they want to call it, as long as the, the check cashes, then I'm good. All right, perfect, man. So I'll be looking forward to uh, when that finally comes out, whatever the name is. Uh, you'll have to let me know, and I'll uh, put that out to the uncontained audience. And, Absolutely. Uh, you mentioned you have multiple avenues. We already talked about stand-up a little bit, but you also have a podcast, Perfectville. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I'm, I'm like you, man. I'm in the podcast game. I'm a big podcast freak, and I'm a big sports fan, uh, especially when it comes to football. And unfortunately, I've been saddled with being a Miami Dolphins fan for my entire life. Which, <laughs> uh, look, the colors are not manly. They're not, you know, the it's not an intimidating um, animal uh, for your mascot when you're a dolphin. Uh, all everything about the Miami Dolphins reeks of not being a football team. Yet I love them, and uh, I wouldn't have it any other way. But my problem is I. Live on the West Coast, um, and there's not a lot of coverage when it comes to the Miami Dolphins, and the coverage that's out there is awful. I mean, the 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 local beat writers that cover the Miami Dolphins are terrible. Uh, the radio shows out in Miami aren't very good. Plus, regular radio, as you can imagine, is just terrible with all the commercials and all the yes. breaks and all the government nonsense that go- puts gets put on uh, traditional terrestrial radio. So I was talking to a friend of mine who's a former college football player and also a Miami Dolphins fan. And I said, why don't we just do something you know, for us? Like, why would we ever listen to this nonsense when you and I, I get more entertainment out of talking to him about the Dolphins than anybody else. So we stuck a couple microphones in front of our face and uh, wouldn't you know it if, it if it didn't take off? I mean, we get thousands of downloads a week. Uh, we have merchandise that people gobble up. In fact, I got to fill a couple of orders here today. Um, we have uh, uh, pre-parties for football games. We'll go on the road. Um, I'll, I'll actually set up comedy shows. Like I remember going to Seattle when the Dolphins played the Seattle Seahawks and setting up a comedy show and having, you know, dozens upon dozens of our listeners show up in the audience. So it's really cool. So yeah, we do that about once a week. We've been doing it for a couple of years and it's uh, the highest rated, most popular Miami Dolphins podcast on the internet. I mean, uh, bar awesome. none. So we're, we're doing a, we're doing a little, a little bit better than I expected us to do. It, it kind of <laughs> took us by surprise, but uh, it just, you know, there was a hole in that for that audience and we filled it. So we're, we're very proud of our, what we call the citizens of Perfectville. And uh, they've been propping us up here for a couple of years. That's awesome, man. I, I relate to the bad uh, press coverage of like your team out here. I'm on the West Coast as well, and I'm a Chicago Bears fan. So, oh. And I also <laughs> relate to the struggles of a team not necessarily doing that well. But uh, I'm, I'm actually excited for this season. Uh, what are some things that happened maybe this offseason that uh, you're talking about on Perfectville? So everyone, you know, again, for the Miami Dolphins, we got rid of pretty much all of our talent. We got rid of Indomitian Sue, who's a very dominant defensive tackle. We got rid of Jarvis Landry, who is uh, breaking records his four, first four seasons in the league as a wide receiver. No wide receiver in the history of the NFL has caught more passes their first four seasons than wow. Jarvis Juice Landry. That I'm talking Jerry Rice. I'm talking Tim Brown. I'm talking any wide receiver ever of all time. And they traded him. They traded him for like a third round pick or the fourth round pick to the Cleveland Browns. That's how much they 
hated this guy. They even they traded him to a team that's not even in the league anymore, uh, to the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> so it's it's really interesting because the Miami Dolphins have um, pretty much taken uh, an enema and stuck it up their own ass and flushed out all the bad pieces of crap that they at least they perceive to be pieces of crap, uh, and are starting over with some sort of culture shock here. So um, they're starting over. They're trying to rebuild their team and they aggregate getting people in there that uh, buy into a team concept that buy into uh, everything. And uh, we'll see what happens because you get rid of all that talent and you don't replace it with equal talent. It could be really, really bad. But at the same time, you get rid of all those, um, if you, for lack of a better term, cancerous personalities and get people that work together. And maybe they galvanize and grow and become something bigger than what they are individually. And speaking of the Bears, uh, I actually I've made a decision that I'm going to the Miami Dolphins Chicago Bears game on October 14th in Miami because I've never been to a home game for the Dolphins. Number one. OK. N- number two, my birthday is October 13th. So I'm planning on going to Miami, doing some comedy shows uh, the day of my birthday on Saturday, then going to the game on Sunday. And number three, with all due respect to you and your team, um, that's the one game on the Dolphins schedule that I think that we can win. So I'd like to see them win. And I'm, uh, I'm, I'm hedging my bet that it'll be against the Chicago bears. It will be interesting. You know, I think the dolphins are kind of going through what the bears did like three years ago or two years ago when they got rid of Brandon Marshall, Elshon Jeffries, Matt Forte got rid of like yeah. everybody cleaned house. Now this year they went out, got a new coach, uh, Matt Nagy. They uh, picked up a few like key actual receivers that uh, Trubisky can throw the ball to, and uh, it should be an interesting. It should be an interesting uh, year. I'm actually kind of excited to see uh, what the Bears do this year, and also I'm I'm curious to see if there's any bets to see how many games Kevin White will make it this year. Uh, over under five and a half. That guy can never <laughs> stay healthy. I mean, no, honestly, like, if he gets five games, you 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 stand up and you give that guy a standing ovation because that guy, as talented as he is, just <laughs> uh, what, what I don't even know what to say. It's, it's unfortunate. <laughs> the guy just can't stay healthy. If he plays, if he plays five games this season, that'll be more games than he's played his entire career in three years. Um, so that's just to put things into perspective, right there. He, you remember the um, movie Unbreakable with Samuel Jackson and Bruce Willis? Yeah, he's he Mr. Is, Glass. Yeah, he is not Bruce <laughs> Willis's character. I'll tell you that. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, he's the exact opposite. Now, let me ask you this as a Bears fan, because I, I, I don't really know a lot of Bears fans, but um, I, I have this. Uh, so there's two things about the Dolphins and the Bears that I uh, that I always hang on to. Obviously, the Dolphins are the team that beat the Bears the year that the Bears just steamrolled through the league, like in 85 or whatever that was. Yeah. Um, so do Bears fans hate the Dolphins because of that? Is there like uh, like a one sided rivalry here? Because I know as Dolphins fans, we don't hate the Bears at all. We don't think about the Bears. It's not anything that's even in our, you know periphery here other than maybe the week that we're facing them but it do do bears fans in general um not like dolphins because of that no i I don't think so i i haven't really heard uh too many people mention the dolphins when talking about rivalries it's more the green bay packers that all bears fans hate but everybody knows that that's one of the oldest rivalries in the game but you know a Bears fan can be a fan of just about any team as long as they're playing the Packers. And the uh, okay, so I'll buy that. And the other thing that I remember, and it's kind of a very random thing, but uh, do you remember the show Cheers? Yeah, yeah. So there's an episode where Sam Malone, uh, Ted Danson's character, is gambling on football, and he's trying to get uh, Diane, uh, the, the the lady of his affection throughout the series of that show, uh, to to participate with him. He wants her to be a part of what he's doing, and she wants to be a part of it. So he asks her, "Okay, you know, the the first game we're gambling on is uh, the Dolphins and the Bears. Now the Dolphins uh, Dolphins have home field advantage." And I remember her her line back is, "Well, this is hardly a fair fight. I mean, how?" a dolphin supposed to beat a bear and it was like obviously <laughs> showing that she doesn't know anything about football but I, for whatever reason that's always stuck in my head as like a really weird uh rambling little thing in my head that i've never been able to shake so a uh, little factoid there's an episode of cheers where they're talking about the bears facing the dolphins interesting interesting i've heard that premise before like uh 
like yeah a lion would beat an eagle or something sure. like that and but i i don't remember that specific episode i was interested to see where you were going with that little <laughs> uh, story so <laughs> I, I will say this i think out of all the teams in the nfl um if you were to put their mascots up against each other in real life uh there would be the largest disparity would be home field advantage for the bears versus the home field advantage for the dolphins i think uh that game would really depend on if it's being played in the water or if it's being played in the in the woods or the forest wherever the fuck bears live very true very true neither would stand a chance in the other's home environment but uh (laughs) (laughs) luckily luckily they play on a gridiron so so there's a chance for either team there you go all right so now let's talk a little bit more about your stand-up okay all right so how long first of all how long have you been doing stand-up a little over four years. I got started a little bit late in the game. I'm uh, I'm 35 right now, and I started November. I can almost tell you the day. November 13th, 2013. Uh, it was a uh, or November 11th. It's November of 2013. I don't remember the exact day. I lied. Uh, but yeah, so it's <laughs> it's been about four and a half years since I uh, since I started getting on stage. All right, so. At, say, like 30 years old, what was it that inspired you to go, uh, you know, I think I'm going to get on stage, pick up a mic, and uh, try to make people laugh? (laughs) And embarrass myself in front of hundreds and thousands of people, yeah. Um, You know, it's one of those things where, look, it's a different type of funny, but I was was always funny with my friends. I was very social. I'd go out. And this is before I had a kid, and obviously I have a kid now, um, spoiler alert. But before I had a kid, you know, I, I spent my time being a single guy. I was very much a little bit like Kabir, other than the fact that I had a day job that I had a very uh, large social network. I'd go out, I'd have drinks, I'd eat dinner at restaurants pretty much every single night because I really didn't have anything else to center and anchor me down. And then uh, ultimately I I had a a little girl who's amazing and it kind of changed my life in terms of how I actually go about my day-to-day business. And uh, I found myself looking for a creative outlet. Now in the past it was go blow off steam tell some jokes with friends, have a couple beers. Well, that kind of went away because all my friends didn't have kids and I did. So all of a sudden it was like I had an STD and they wanted nothing to do with me anymore. (laughs) And uh, I was kind of sitting at home and I was kind of going crazy. I mean, I had my kid, but at the same time it was like, shit, I need, I needed to do something else. So I started making these dumb videos, a show called, uh, actually called Predictably Drunk, which was a football show. And uh, some comedians uh, who are Dolphins fans found it. They liked it. One of them named Jeremy Curry. Uh, who's another local comic here, another good friend of Kabir Singh's and myself, uh, actually started producing shows. And he called me and said, hey, man, these are funny. Have you ever thought about getting on stage? And um, I thought, well, yeah, I have, but I've never done it. And I sat down and I wrote uh, what I thought was 10 minutes of fire material. And he put me on a, uh, a showcase over at a, a bar in Fremont called Kirby's Sports Bar. And uh, I brought everyone that I ever met knew, followed me, anything, family members, friends, strangers who just liked my show. And, uh, I bombed like you would <laughs> never believe. Um, I mean, I had people cringing, people looking at their phones, like, how do we get out of this? It was bad. I, I didn't know what I was doing. And, uh, come to find out Jeremy didn't want me cause he thought I was funny. He wanted me cause he knew I knew a lot of people and he wanted to fill the show out. He, uh, he basically booked me to be a bringer <laughs> and, um, so that's how I got started, man. I just, uh, I needed a creative outlet after my kid was born. And then, uh, I stuck with it, uh, whether I should have or not, and uh, developed into uh, a, a halfway decent comic. To the enforcer. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I got my gimmick, man. Yeah, it's crazy how when you first write out your set or write out your jokes, like you're like, oh, man, these are going to be awesome. These are going to be awesome. And then when you get on stage the first time or whatever, it's like, when that joke doesn't land the way you want it to, it, you feel like the sinking in your stomach. You're like, that wasn't oh. the response that I wanted. Yeah. And so what was like, I don't know. A lot of times when I was doing standup, it'd be like, you throw out the joke and then you continue to work on that as you go. Did you continue to work on that introduction material, like your first material, or did you scrap it and start all over? I pretty much scrapped everything from my first set with the exception of one thing that I came up with off the cuff of my um, off the cuff of my head. And I kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier about having a kid is almost like having an STD. And it wasn't anything that I had written down. It was just something while I was up there that I said and people actually responded to it. And I was at least self-aware enough to go, all right. The rest of this is crap, but there might be something that I can develop there. So I ended up developing a joke um, based off of that off the cuff remark, which is 
really the best way to do it. I mean, the, the only way to know if, if jokes are going to work is to do them on stage. And if you do it on stage and they laugh, then it's like, okay, uh, this is going to work. So no, I, I pretty much scrapped the whole thing. And in fact, I was never going to get on stage again. I was so embarrassed for myself. Uh, the only reason I did is I wrote a blog about how bad I did. And, um, a friend of mine named Matt Somerville, who actually was my co-host on one of my podcasts and is actually working, uh, on side hustle right now down in Hollywood. He works for the, um, uh, producing company that that funded it, he was working at the time for Dane Cook. He was producing and uh, directing Dane Cook's special called Troublemaker, which was on Showtime a couple of years ago. And uh, I sent him my blog and said, "You got to see how bad I am at this." And he he thought it was so funny that I was so bad at it that he shared <laughs> it with Dane. He shared it with Dane Cook. So. Uh, here I am 30 years old thinking, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm terrible at it. I feel bad about myself. And out of nowhere, I get this message from Dane Cook going, Hey, you don't know me. I'm like, yeah, but I know who you are. Why are you messaging me? And, uh, he goes, well, I'm working with your buddy, Matt. And he sent me your blog and he's like, God, dude, that sounds terrible. And I was so mortified <laughs> that Dane Cook knew how bad at comedy I was. I wanted to kill Matt, but Dane actually gave me really good advice, uh, and kind of circling back to the, how we started this conversation, the whole whole reason I bombed so bad is that I had a drunk heckler in the front row and she just threw me off my game completely. And I wrote all about it. And he was like, look, I'm going to level with you. This is Dane Cook speaking. Okay. You're not, you're not good enough to be good at comedy and you don't need anybody to make you bomb. You're going to bomb all by yourself. So don't let a heckler make you look bad. You're going to look bad all by yourself. And in a weird way, it was like really comforting. I'm like, that makes sense to me. Thank you, Dane Cook. So it got me back on stage. The second time I went on stage, bombed hard again, but I bombed like kind of on my own terms, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it was kind of like, all right, well, I feel better about this just because I didn't, uh, I didn't get completely sidetracked and completely thrown off. I just have bad material and I can always change the material. That's easy enough. And then third time was good. Fourth time was good. And then, and then I just started that, you know, taking off from there of, all right, let's figure out, uh, what the fuck I'm going to say on stage for the rest of my life. Yes, yes, definitely. So do you find yourself writing more of your material while you're on stage just from things you say? Or do you find yourself writing more as a day goes on and like the notebook you keep in your pocket or whatever? Yeah, that's a good question. I tried the notebook thing. It didn't work for me. I mean, I'd write some stuff down and then ultimately either leave my notebook somewhere or not like the material because the way you write and the way you speak are often different. So when I write stuff down and then I try to take it to stage, it doesn't sound like how it should in my head. So I found for me, the best process for me is really just take life as it comes. You know, if something shows up, something happens, you know, everything's a bit, as Jeremy Curry would say, everything's a bit in life. You just have to figure out what the bit is. And, uh, you know, if something happens tragically in your life, unfortunately, the comedian's brain immediately goes to writing jokes about it. If something good happens in your life, unfortunately, the comedic's brain is to go ahead and write about it. So at least for me. So I find myself like I'll make a note in my phone if it's something that I'm like, oh, I need to explore that more. Um, or I'll write stuff down before I have a big show just to kind of get my thoughts together. Like, OK, I want to do this bit. I want to do that bit. I'm going to throw this new thing in right here. Uh, but oftentimes it's either something that's right off the cuff uh, on stage and I go, oh, that was something I need to develop that further. Or it's um, a real rudimentary sort of idea that ultimately grows into something else or doesn't. I mean, sometimes there's ideas that I have that I'm like, this is awful. I have this joke that I love that no one ever responds to. So I had to scrap it, unfortunately, because it just wasn't working for anyone. So um, I don't really write things down too much anymore. It's, it's more or less kind of just rattling around in my head. Okay, great, great. So um, now you, that you've been doing stand-up for four and a half years and uh, you have the the side hustle or whatever it will be named project <laughs> coming out, uh, your podcast, Perfectville. What advice do you have for people who are looking to get started out in, and uh, well, it could be stand up podcasting or just entertainment in general, since you have kind of a wide, uh, wide range of outlets. Yeah. My advice is don't because you're going to take time away from me. No, um, <laughs> Uh, look, it, it's going to sound like real basic, cheesy advice, but the, the best advice I can give anybody, whether you're going to write a blog, you're going to do a podcast, you're going to do YouTube videos, you're going to be on stage, whatever it is, just remember that in this day and age, content is king. I mean, nothing beats good content. If you have good content, everything else will fall in line. So um, there's, there's one of two ways you can do it. You can have really killer content 
or you could have a lot of content um, and just keep throwing it out there. But in terms of having content, you need to have that. You need to have ownership of that because nobody's going to do it for you. I mean, in the day of social media, Aaron, you know this, everyone has a platform, which means no one's special. So how do you stand out in a crowd when everyone is talking? It's really, really hard to do that. So I I think having good content, having kind of a multimodal approach, meaning, yes, you're going to need to have a social media page. Yes, you're probably going to need to do some skits and bits. You're not going to get by with just hitting stages all the time. And maybe you will. I mean, who knows? Some people are fine with just going to stages Monday through Friday and then taking the weekends off. That's totally fine. There's room for that. Um, But I think you just need to make sure that you have content, whether it's good or whether it's a lot. You know, hopefully you have a lot of good content. I mean, that's that's kind of the happy medium and whatever (laughs) whatever platform you have. And then um, just work it, man. Just get out there, meet other comics learn from then. I mean, I have, I have comics that will come back and after I get off stage and kind of rewrite one of my jokes and I'll try it and I'll go, damn, that was better than what I did. You know, so be kind of open to, to kind of morphing your content. It's always going to change. Uh, that, that'd be my biggest advice is just find your niche and then go for it. So like, uh, for example, the dolphins podcast, that's a very niche market. I'm not going to get a lot of people who are non-sports fans listening to that. And within sports, I'm not going to get a lot of baseball fans, basketball fans, hockey fans, cricket fans, any of that. I'm not even going to get a lot of like Chicago Bears fans, for example. (laughs) It's a very specific market. It's the Miami Dolphins fan base that is listening to my show, however big or however large that is. But that fan base is also one that will kind of go to the ends of the earth for me within reason. You know what I mean? They'll come to my shows. They'll buy my merchandise. They'll support me because they love what I'm doing with that content. So find that niche, find something that you can hang on to as big or small as it is and try to grow it from there. Because when I started, I think we had like I don't know, 50 people listen to the first episode of, of Perfectville. You know, we're, we're, we're now in the triple digits when it comes to shows and we nice. get thousands, you know, it, so it just grows organically. Um, but that's it, man. Just just get your content. Uh, know that you're not as good as you think you are and you're probably not as bad as you think you are. You're, you're somewhere in between and you're just <laughs> going to have to continue to work at it. All right. Awesome, man. That is some great advice. And uh, I can um, I want to step back one second to. It's still related to advice, but I want to step back to you were talking about when we were writing jokes. Okay. When you're writing jokes, Mm -hmm. um, do you have any advice for people who are like, who say, you know, I'm situationally funny, but when I try to write something for the stage, it doesn't come out. Is there a trick that they can use to tap into that, uh, situational, uh, humor? Yeah. So that's, that's one of the hardest, this is where, being a, a joke writer is an actual tangible skill because it's really hard to translate things from a situation onto a stage into a performance, right? A, a sitcom is that it's a situational comedy. Stand up comedy is exactly that. It's you standing on stage in front of a bunch of strangers, hopefully, um, you know, basically getting it all out. I mean, I kind of like stand up comedy to being um, graffiti. Right. So if you think about it's the graffiti of performing arts. So if you think about graffiti, some people walk by graffiti and go, oh, my God, look at that artist. That is amazing what they're able to accomplish with with a can of spray paint. And then other people walk by and go, that is garbage. That is littering. We need to clean that up. There's no place in society for it. That's kind of what stand up comedy is. It's not it's not theater necessarily. It's not even improv. It's just this kind of uh, graffiti esque sort of art form that that goes on. And uh, it's really tough to make it work in terms of uh, a stage presence and writing jokes. So I'll give you one example that I have. Okay. Uh, I was at a restaurant in Monterey years ago and the waitress was a really, really pretty girl. And I was, I happened to be there on business for like two or three days in a row. And I was with some coworkers and, uh, she told, she told us right away, I'm a lesbian. Don't even try hitting on me. It's not going to work. And we're like, okay, whatever. We're not going to hit on you anyways. Um, So we went back the next day and she was our waitress again. We went back the third day and she was our waitress again. And she came up to me on the third day and she goes, you know, even though I'm a lesbian, uh, I got to tell you, I'm really attracted to you. And I was kind (laughs) of like, oh, look at me. Right. You know, go Sam. And then uh, she hit me with the punchline, which was, but that's only because you look like my ex-girlfriend. And I was like, oh, you got to be kidding me. Like she set me up and just completely knocked me down. So I don't tell that story on stage, but what gets out of that is is kind of a hybrid story about how I talk about almost having sex with a hot lesbian, 
Uh, but it was a short-lived victory because it turns out the hot lesbian only wanted to have sex with me because she thought I was a hot lesbian too. And it, and it kills every <laughs> single time. You know, and then you kind of get into why you look like a hot lesbian and, you know, the different attributes and, and, and everything that you have that uh, you might share with what a, a lesbian would have. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a trope, but that's, that's a real world situation being translated to a stage show. Okay, awesome. So it's kind of um, like taking the you had to be there situation and putting people there, or is that... I think so for me, the way I always look at it is if you can get the audience on your side and by that, I mean, usually don't attack the audience right away. Uh, obviously, last night is a different story. Um, but uh, if for me, if I can be self-deprecating in a funny way up front uh, or if I can make fun of the town that we're in uh, and, and they know that I'm you know, doing it tongue in cheek, they get they become on your side and they give you a little bit more leeway to tell a story or to do more situational comedy down the road. Um, but, yeah, you do have to figure out a way to transfer um, whatever your experience is to an actual performance. I mean, there's a little bit of, uh, for lack of a better term, Hollywood magic that goes on if you're going to do it the right way. I mean, most, most stories that I know are true that comedians have told on stage have kernels of truth in them, <laughs> but it's also surrounded by a bunch of shit that came out of their head and it's creative and it's funny and it's entertaining. And you know, that, that's how I look at it is, you know, here, here's, a, here's a compliment that I have when I come off stage and I'll have a booker or a show producer, or somebody pull me aside and go, did that really happen? Like it, it's such a good story that you've been able to weave on stage that people really don't know what's reality and what's truth. And that is, that is, that's a great feeling. So yeah, it's just a matter of, um, figuring out a way to translate that on stage. And, and it's tough. I, I don't, I'm not an expert on it. I mean, I have a bunch of stuff that I think is hilarious, but I can't figure out a way to, uh, to make it funny on stage. So it, it just takes time and it takes the right amount of whatever to get that done. All right, man. Uh, so we talked about uh, Facebook and different platforms and stuff like that because and trying to stand out and be special and everybody has that platform to stand on. Uh, what are some of the things that you do to promote yourself, to make you, uh, your show, and everything else that you do stand out? I do interviews for folks on their podcasts. <laughs> um, no, I... Uh, <laughs> Well, I mean, that's part of it, right? You do media yeah. appearances and stuff like that. I mean, I, I think, you know, Facebook, let's just start there. Uh, Facebook is great for um, networking with your friends, getting the word out about what you do. Look, let's let point this out. If you are if you are starting out in comedy and you have Facebook and you have family and you have friends and you tell people, I am going to start doing comedy or I am booked on this show, there's going to be an intrigue factor from all your friends and family that said, oh, so-and-so is on stage. I want to see that. Um, so starting out, it's great in terms of getting the word out there. After a while, that goes off. Everyone sees you either did good or you did bad. They got their own lives. They're not going to come show up as often anymore. So you have to continue to figure out ways to market and promote yourself. Um, you know, having Instagram is a good way to blast a show. A lot of people are on Instagram. You can hashtag people look up hashtags all the time. Uh, if you, if your hashtag game is good, you can actually just, you know, hashtag whatever, every city that's in the area, you can give yourself promo codes. If you have that much stroke to say, Hey, I'm going to do discounted tickets. If, uh, if you show up or you contact me, et cetera, et cetera, Twitter, you know, I use basically use my Twitter to, to, to tell dumb jokes about sports. I mean, I don't really <laughs> use it too much to market myself. I, I guess I do a little bit, but, um, the way I look at social media is it, it should be an extension of yourself. Uh, I cannot stand, it's one of my pet peeves. I cannot stand a comic who goes on Facebook, goes on Twitter, goes on Instagram and continues their set. Like it's an, it's an extension of their stage presence. I want to choke those motherfuckers out every single time. I'm like, just be a human being. You'll get more people interested in you. If you, open up a little bit and show them that you're an actual person and engage them versus just doing bits all the time, all the time, all the time. It's awful. I hate it. Um, and I think it's not sustainable long-term, but if you, if you do, if you, and if you invoke some humor into the stories that you're telling online, on Facebook, on Twitter, you, you crack a joke here, you crack a joke there and just interact with people. Um, you tend to get people that want to come out and support you. And, uh, uh, you'll be quote unquote successful. When you say uh, people uh, continuing their set on Facebook and social media, is it the like comics that are like, trying out new jokes and tags and stuff yes. on there? Okay. Yeah. 
I mean, there's there's a definite and, and you get a keen eye to it after a while. But there's definitely people that when they're not on stage and you're just sitting in the back of the club or you're in the green room, they're working you. They're putting bits and you just look at them like, don't do this right now. Let's just have a conversation. You and I are on the same side of the microphone here. You don't need to do this to me. If you want to run a bit by somebody, I say just say, hey, I want to check here. I'm going to throw this bit at you. Let me know what you think. Totally fine. At that point, we're workshopping. We're, okay. we're collaborating. But if you're just going to talk to me like we're having a conversation. And then in the middle of it, you go into a bit. It's kind of like, all right, I don't want to be a, your friend. <laughs> like, I don't want this anymore. I I, <laughs> I can watch you on stage. I don't need to talk to you here backstage. And a lot of comics do that online as well. I mean, it's it's uh, I'm guilty of it as well. There's times where I've thrown my bits out there and, and some people use it as kind of a, a you know, basically a, a social media open mic. And, and I guess that's fine. I mean, if you want to, it's not my bag. It's not anything that I want to do. I don't think it's a real uh, real life scenario to figure out if a joke's going to work or not. I think you have to try it in front of an audience on stage talking into a microphone to know if it's actually going to work or not. And um, I, it's just, it just, it's one of those pet peeves of mine. Like, just, it's almost like when an, an audience member, like a friend of yours, will be like, oh, you're, you're doing a show tonight. What time is your show? What time is your set? And you're like, well, the show starts at 7 30. Yeah, but what time are you on stage? <laughs> Fuck you. Show up. The show starts at 7 30. Do not show up at 7 47 when I go on stage or 8 15. The show starts at 7 30 it's a ridiculous question that i won't even acknowledge now yeah i think that happens in like music too like for bands like a lot of people will be like hey what time are you going on because i just want to come see you and not the other bands no it's part of the show check out yeah. the whole damn show you know and and here's a dirty little secret to anybody that's listening to this. I don't know. I, I most of the time I don't know what time I'm going up until I get to the show. Unless even if I'm headlining, all I know is I'm going on at the end. What I don't know is what time exactly I'll go on stage. Like I just I'm sorry. I don't. We don't have that level of. Um, uh, uniformity when it comes to comedy. Most of the time, the lineup is written on a napkin, given to the <laughs> producer about five minutes before the show, and it is what it is. So we just know that the show starts at 7.30, we show up at 7.15, we check in, we make sure everybody's cool, and then we go from there. Yeah, and even national touring acts and both stand-up and music, those shows never start on time. So exactly. you can't expect like a show at uh, Tommy T's in Pleasanton uh, to be like, okay, you have exactly five and a half minutes on stage. If you go longer, your mic's getting cut, and we're bringing up the next comic. You know, it's just unrealistic, but I completely understand what you're saying. <laughs> uh, well, especially at Tommy T's. I mean, those guys are so comic-friendly that they'll let you explore anything on stage. Now, you go to maybe like the improv or you go to the punchline, they might play you off with music, which is embarrassing. But uh, but yeah, I mean, even last night, it, the show started, the early show started at 730. I don't think we we even ran the reel that plays before the show starts until about 742, 743. So, I mean, you're, you're talking, you know, it, it's kind of a eh, we'll get to it when we get to it sort of thing. All right. Right on. Right on. So um, what would be a highlight or two that uh that you care to share with the uncontained audience in terms of being on stage uh in in terms of your career so like what would be like not necessarily the highlight of your career but say you're out uh with a few friends and you're sharing stories about yeah. uh, stuff that's happened what would be a uh, story or two that you'd bring up and be like dude you'll never believe this this was awesome yeah, so I'll give you one. I actually got hired, uh, myself and another comic got hired to do comedy for a campsite. So it was like this big group of folks that were camping, and there was probably like 30, 40 folks, and they hired us, they paid us uh, to come up to their campgrounds and perform comedy for them, which is a really strange venue. Yeah. Uh, but when we got there, they'd set up a tent as our green room, which was kind of cool. Um, they fed us, they gave us all the beer we could drink and they had uh, an actual stage and they had a sound system. And when it was time for the show, they brought all their camping, uh, chairs over and we started doing a show and the show as we're going, we're seeing other campsites show up that weren't a part of this party and sit down. And by the end of it, I think we had about 75 people sitting there watching us do comedy in the rain, mind you. And, uh, oh, wow. it was, it was a bizarre experience, but it was one where the audience, man, it was like, 
all right, this is good. This is actually kind of cool. I mean, they, they took care of us. They were a lot of fun to hang out with after the show. We just, you know, once it was done, we were all human beings. We sat around the campfire and ate food and everything else. But that was a pretty cool experience. It was like uh, just bizarre. For a long time, it took the cake for the weirdest um, booking I ever got. And it was only topped by um, a booking I had uh, for a biker, uh, a biker motorcycle club uh, at their hangout, which was, uh, had a front of a, of a car, like auto body shop. And then in the back there was, um, their, you know, their hangout. And yeah. I performed on a stage with a stripper pole with all these really hard looking dudes looking at me <laughs> doing God knows what in the audience, uh, with God knows who. And that was, that was another bizarre experience, probably the most bizarre one I've ever had when it comes to comedy. Uh, so I usually go to those two. Those are always a lot of fun. I mean, it's anytime you perform for, you know, 500 people, like I've been able to do at various locations, that's pretty cool to look out and see kind of a mini sea of people, um, and when they laugh and they pop, you know, that, that just that feeling of having 500 people essentially laugh at you is, is, uh, is pretty cool. But yeah, those are the two that I always go to is the campground and the, uh, and the biker gang. Okay. Yeah. Like on the campground, uh, it almost sounds like the land version of a cruise ship, but yeah, a lot cooler. That's a good point. That sounds like an awesome experience. And the biker bar one, when you're on stage, did you have, were you like, oh man, I got to worry about what I say. I don't want to say the wrong thing, piss off the wrong person type thing. I might end up getting dragged behind one of them bikes. <laughs> well, they, they were all, you know, again, a, a bunch of, of good guys and uh, men and women there. But I said at one point, cause there was a stripper pole. So I was kind of like doing the, the move where I put my feet at the base of the pole and I hold onto it with one arm with it extended. And I was twirling around the pole while holding the microphone. Like I was almost doing like a, a stripper tease while doing jokes. Um, <laughs> And I said at one point, because there was a lot of people that were uh, smoking marijuana, and I said, man, uh, you know what's bad when you go to a biker club and everyone's smoking weed and you still have to go into the bathroom to hide your coke habit? Uh, and I said it as just kind of a joke. And right after I said that, they all laughed. And then one of the guys goes, you don't have to go to the bathroom. And he just dropped out a bunch of cocaine and started <laughs> doing it. And I was kind of like, dude, it was a joke. My God. Uh, but he just had it on demand. It was like in his pocket. He was ready to go. And uh, so that was that was kind of a bizarre experience. But everyone treated me really well. I, I have nothing but good things to say about both. Awesome, man. Awesome. So, all right. I got a couple more questions for you, Sam, before we wrap this up here. What do you want your audience to take away uh, from your performance? What do you want them to remember about your show? Yeah, I, I just like when they're, when they have a good time. I mean, to be honest with you, it, it's always very awkward after a show to kind of stand there, just be milling around and people come up to you and have, try to have a big conversation with you. I'm not good at that. It's, it's <laughs> kind of awkward for me, but I will say, I really do appreciate when people come up afterwards and say, Hey, we had a great time. Thank you very much. You know, this is exactly what we needed. That that's really what it is. Like I, I'm not looking to for them to buy additional merchandise. If they want to, that's fine. But, uh, if, if they had a good time and they go out of the way to come up to me and say, thank you very much. That was a lot of fun. Uh, that's about it. I just want them to have a good time for the most part. Be, be involved, but be involved in the right way. And, uh, and just have fun. I mean, it's comedy. Don't don't take yourself too seriously in the audience. As long as, and I won't take myself too seriously on stage. That's kind of the contract um, uh, terms that I ask for from the audience. And just enjoy yourself. Know that there's going to be things on stage that you don't agree with, but also know that it's fucking jokes. And <laughs> you know, not everything we say should be taken literally. You know, it's it's a performance. You know, you're you're watching basically live television, if you will. So it's uh, that's all. You know, just go out, have a good time you know enjoy yourself and then get the fuck out and go home because we got another show to do in 30 minutes <laughs> right on right on so i think you brought up a pretty good point like people coming up after the show talking to you um it's not necessarily the time to start an in-depth conversation but you know like because you just got off stage you got a line of people behind them uh mm -hmm. coming through talking to you and like it's perfect for like hey man great set um if you have a podcast or something like i do like be like i'd love to talk to you later set something up and then move on you know yeah um you can't get into talking about uh your takes on the book war and peace or some shit well half the time they'll <laughs> the folks that want to talk to you and and engage in a conversation they are bringing up 
bits that I said on stage that I don't even remember that I said. Like they wanted, <laughs> they, they kind of feel like we had a conversation, which is good on some level. But they're like, oh yeah, by the way, blah blah blah. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, oh, remember on stage when you said this? No, I don't remember that. I said that. Okay, cool. And uh, you know, like if you do weed jokes, that that's the thing that kills me about about potheads is that I'll do some weed jokes, and you know, weed is funny, pot is funny, and uh, there's some good stories there that everyone has. Everyone has experiences with it. And then you get off stage, and you get these guys that want to tell me their experiences, and I'm like, you don't have a microphone for a reason. Your story is awful. It's boring. And now is not the time. If you want to tell me it was a good time. Great. Uh, I appreciate that. If you want to take a picture, uh, feel free. If you want my autograph, which is always weird, I will be more than happy to do that. But uh, yeah, I, you know, look, there's people behind you. There's people that are trying to get out. There's other people that want to say, hey, this was a good show. Um, don't sit there and have, like you said, a war and peace conversation with me. Yes, yes. All right. Great, man. So I have the final question coming your way. Before we get to that, uh, where can people find you online? Find your show, find uh, information about your upcoming soon-to-be-changed name show. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, I mean, there's all kinds. Of, you can go to sammarcoux.com, M-A-R-C-O-U-X. Um, I, I write some blogs there. I think I wrote one this week about the five worst bags of chips on planet Earth, number one being Fritos because those are the worst fucking uh, monstrosity of a chip ever. Uh, so I do dumb shit on there. If people want to read it, it's lighthearted reading. It's no, usually no longer than 500 words. Um, y- you can also find my tour dates on there. I'm based out of the Bay Area. I do a lot of a lot of uh, stuff with Tommy T's, Cobbs in San Francisco, um, Punchline in Sacramento, stuff like that. So you can find out where I'm going to be performing there. On Facebook, just look up Sam Marcu. There's two of us. There's me, and then there's like uh, some teenage girl in St. Louis. So uh, just look for the one that's a guy, and uh, you should be okay. Um, Twitter, it's Tiger Clomedy. So Tiger Claw and then M-E-D-Y, like comedy, Tiger Clomedy. Uh, we don't have time to get into the Tiger Claw story, but maybe another time if, okay. uh, if you would have me back on. Of course. And then um, uh, and then Instagram, I think, is just Sam Marku. I mean, just type in Sam Marku. You'll you'll see me pop up, and you can follow me or, or friend me or whatever um, uh, on any of those. Okay, so why do you hate Frito so much? All right. Well, first of all, I think the main ingredient of Fritos is in the name of it. I think they're Fritos from cadaver feet because they smell awful. Like, here's the thing with Fritos. If I open up a bag of chips, I should be able to make the choice to like bury my face in if I want and and smell in the flavor of the chip. Fritos doesn't allow for that. You open up a bag of Fritos and it basically farts into your face and says, this is what it smells like. <laughs> and if that was society, if you met somebody new and they turned around and just ripped one in your face, you'd be like, you're a rude person and I don't like you. But Fritos just takes that. They just insist on penetrating your nostrils and it smells awful. It smells stale. It's just disgusting. It smells like Bigfoot's dick. And then I guess they're corn chips, but they don't taste like corn chips. They don't look like corn chips. They just look like leftover like crap that you have at the bottom of a bag of corn chips. So it just <laughs> looks like stale old corn chips that they've repackaged and put into these shitty little bags. And I don't understand why people eat them because there's they, they look gross. They taste gross. They smell gross. There's no um, redeemable quality about a Frito, in my opinion. I don't even know what a fuck a Frito is, but uh, I know it's gross. What about the uh, chili cheese Fritos? Any any other opinions on those? Look, I mean, if you have an ugly chick and you put makeup on it, it the ugly chick's going to look better, but it's still an ugly chick. I mean, a Frito with chili cheese on it is a little bit better, but at the end of the day, you still feel bad about yourself when you consume it. All right, fair enough, fair enough. So, I you know what, I got to tell you, I I have I've had more strong reactions not to my political views or my sports views or religion or anything like that. I put on there that I didn't like Fritos and I had people like literally angry with me here in the last week about <laughs> how the fuck you know, like Fritos. I'm like, "All right, settle down. We're talking about junk food." People are passionate about their chips, man. Passionate Fritos about their Cheetos. indulgence. Yeah, if you yeah. if you knock Cheetos, man, people will be like all over you on that. Like. I did. I did. They were number two on my list. And here's the thing. This is how bad Fritos are. I'm allergic to Cheetos. They cause me to die. And it's still number two behind Fritos, which I'm not allergic to. That's how gross Fritos are. Cheetos, <laughs> Cheetos. first of all, that's not a natural color of orange. Like You shouldn't be able to hold uh, the chip and and like and like actually feel it glow. You know what I mean? Like the, You should not be putting that into your body by any stretch of the imagination. On top of that, it looks like dried up cat shit. It looks like somebody poured orange nuclear waste on top of cat shit and that's what you're eating people okay so move on to a better uh, different chip other than cheetos and fritos anything that ends in an o you shouldn't be eating in terms of chips what about dorito 
Doritos also terrible, just terrible. They put too much shit on there and it's just kind of like, you know what? Scrape it off. If I can scrape off the flavoring with my teeth, it's too much. All right. So Fritos, bad. Chester Cheeto and the Cheetos, bad. You're saying there's che- they're just like cheese covered Chester Cheetah crap. Um, and by the way, what is a Cheetah orange? Can we talk about the fact that they don't even know how to market their stupid fucking mascot correctly? A Cheetah is not orange. Go look at a Cheetah in a book or go look at it on TV. They're not orange at all, even if they're in the sun. It doesn't happen. It's, a, it's nonsense in my opinion. They don't get suntans? I don't believe cats get suntans, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. All right. So uh, let's wrap this up before we hit the final question with what is your favorite chip? Oh, okay. So my favorite chip, uh, I don't know. I I was having this conversation last night. I don't know if a Funyun is considered a chip or not. Um, It comes in a chip bag. It is marketed with other chips. I'm willing to call it a chip. But if you throw that out and say a Funyun is not a chip, then I'm going to go with uh, anything like I like a like a tortilla chip that's got that hint of lime on it. That's good. It's like it's subtle. It, 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 it's savory. It's in your mouth. And then you can move on and get another one. Totally fine with that. Uh, but I'll go with uh, anything salt and vinegar. I'm a big salt and vinegar fan. That's uh, that and jalapeno chips. Those are also fantastic. OK, OK. I like the kettle, uh, the kettle chips. The sea salt vinegar; those are those are one of my favorite. We can agree on that. There you go. We agree. We can we can have a gentleman handshake and agree on that one for sure. There we go. There we go. All right. So the chip debate is over here on Uncontained. <laughs> um, and that final question is here. It's the title question of the show. Sam Marcou, how do you live uncontained? I don't know how you cannot live uncontained. I mean, in in my mind. If you aren't doing something creative, and it's just how I'm wired, um, then what are you doing? I, I think for me, when I go on stage or if I'm talking to a microphone for a podcast or if I'm writing or if I'm having some sort of creative um, uh, outlet that is going, then I'm keeping my sanity. In many ways, it is it is a free or very, very cheap form of therapy for somebody like myself. I mean, you get to go on stage and you don't even have to listen to anybody else. You get the microphone, you know, basically bar none, all everything's open to you to talk about for 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes. Absolutely. Who wouldn't want to do that? Who, if you really let yourself go and you really let your guard down, wouldn't want to get in front of complete strangers with no consequence and just unload anything and everything (laughs) that you could possibly do, whether you're singing, playing uh, an instrument, interpretive dance, telling dick jokes, whatever it may be. If you have that outlet and you have the ability to get on stage and the uh, advantage of of knowing a few people that allow you to get on stage, who wouldn't want that? I mean, if more people um, were able to do that, I think as a society, you'd see less angst because I get off stage and I, I am of clear mind of Every single time, Aaron, every single time I get off stage, I'm like, let's go have a beer and have some fun. And I don't have any issues. I don't have anything that I have to worry about. It's a great way to just unload all that stress that people carry day in and day out um, out of them. And uh, it's a healthy way. It's better than doing, uh, you know, binge drinking, which happens occasionally or or maybe doing some other way that might damage your body or your person. So I just don't see how you can't do it. Um, it doesn't have to be stand up comedy, but people have to, I don't know, fucking take a photography class or or do, you know, paint and wine night or whatever it is. Figure <laughs> out a way to, to to get your creative self out there. Um, even if it's just for you, you don't have to share it with everyone. But that's dude, I, I don't know how you don't. Yes, exactly, man. I I hear you completely on that. Uh, That makes complete sense. And I want to thank you for coming on the show uh, today, sharing some uh, great uh, stories and uh, insights. Make sure you check out Perfectville, especially if you're a Dolphins fan. Um, Dolphins fan. I'm pretty sure Patriots fans won't be checking that out. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) They don't need to. They're they're doing just fine. They don't need my podcast. Patriots fans. And uh, Sam. uh, do you have any upcoming uh, stand-up dates? Yeah. Uh, if you're listening to this here, uh, the one I'll throw out there, if you guys like to uh, check out comedy in a very nice venue, uh, I'm going to be at the uh, Punchline San Francisco, May 15th. 
Um, and then check out Tommy T's website, TommyTees.com. You click on their calendar or just the main page. I'm there all the time. That's my house com or that's my home club. I'm one of the house comics there. I'm usually hosting or featuring for a lot of the acts that come through. I also produce shows at Tommy T's all the time. So if you guys ever want to come to a show, I'll give Aaron my uh, information. You guys can email me or, or, or shoot me a message. I'm more than happy to give you a, you know, uh, discounted tickets or something like that. We'll do a, a code word for the, uh, for the podcast here and, uh, we'll honor it every single time. So, all right, uh, Tommy, Tommy T's anytime and a specific show May 15th at, uh, the punchline in San Francisco. All right. Sounds good. And, uh, keep, uh, your ears open for the tentatively titled show side hustle coming up with, uh, Kabir Singh. And what, what is your role in, uh, the side hustle? We didn't talk about that too much. Yeah. You know, so I'm, I'm totally fine in this Avenue of being kind of behind the scenes and, and creating from the other side of the camera, if you will. So I am the co-creator and executive producer of this show. Uh, you might see me pop on there just from the fact that they film a lot. And a, a part of the show is, is Kabir interacting with his friends and and his uh, colleagues when it comes to comedy. So uh, you might see me drop in as like a guest appearance, but I don't think I'll be featured on the show. Uh, and I'm okay with that. I had actually rather kind of uh, it, it's more fun for me on this stage uh, to produce the show and and get the talent lined up and get all the locations ready to go and just get everything lined up because uh, Kabir, uh, you know Kabir a little bit. The guy is just yeah. a maniac and you got to get out of his way. If, if the light is on, the camera just let him run and, and film it and you'll get gold. So I don't need to be in his way. I don't need to give him direction when it comes to that. Just drop him down wherever you want him to perform and he will uh, he'll give you it. Awesome, awesome. And hopefully I can get him on the show here, maybe closer to the time when that comes out or uh, just any time. Uh, he's welcome to come on and talk about uh, what he's doing. So I have one final thing for you to do, and that is sign off the show. Will you do me the honor of signing off the show? I absolutely will. And what I will say as I sign off, I want to thank Aaron for having me here on Uncontained. And my only advice in life, not just comedy, but in life, if you go to a comedy show, learn to shut the fuck up. Just shut the fuck up. <laughs> Especially if I ask you to shut the fuck up, just shut the fuck up. Otherwise, I will make you cry. I am Sam Marku, and I live uncontained. And that does it for another episode of Uncontained. Thank you for listening, and thank you to Sam Marcoux for jumping on the mic, especially after doing two shows the night before and getting up early to talk with me, talk comedy, sports, podcasting, and all those great things along with that show with uh, Kabir Singh, whatever it will be titled. That I'll keep you updated on. Sam's contact information will be in the show notes. And as always, until next time, live uncontained.